0: these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And as you are seated, take your copy of God's Word and turn to... uh, Actually, I'm going to have you turn to two passages. We're going to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And First John chapter 4. So Galatians chapter 5, that's the, that's the series that we're in. We're doing a study through uh, what's called the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look myopically through each of the fruit that is described there. So again, starting in Galatians five, we wanna review um, what we're gonna be working through uh, today and over uh, the course of the summer. The second thing is in 1 John chapter four, that'll be seven through 13. What we're looking at there is looking at the, um, the particular fruit, the fruit of love, and getting um, the understanding of God's call to us in that so Galatians chapter 5 and 1 John chapter 4. So this is the word of God from Galatians 5:22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Turning forward then to the second passage, 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. We read this. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us By this, we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, God, we need your instruction. God, we know, we ought to know at least the stubbornness of our own heart. We know those times we haven't loved. We know, God, that as we see here, you are love. And so, Lord, that those who don't love rightly, we need you to order our loves, direct our loves, but do it by yours. And so, God, open us to your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to live dependently upon you. We're thankful that you don't leave us to live on our own, but you've given every resource that has received it by faith. We know that you'll grow us. So do a good work today in the ministry of your word upon our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what the world needs now is love, right? And while the world may uh, uh, sentimentalize that, we have a sense that it's true. Around us we see hate and killing and war, destruction. We see division uh, between people. We see political ideologies uh, which are driven through without any care for the individual person. And we see the harm that those things Cause It's true that the world does need more love. Martin Luther King Jr. said hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And we believe that, we hope that happens. Now the problem that we have though is the disconnect, the disconnect between the longing for love and the actual practice of it. We love the idea of love. And I'd say we are totally committed to the idea of love. But the actual practice of love is much more difficult. And that's because when we have to make some sacrifice for love or when there is some difficult person that we're called to love, we discover that we don't love love as much as we love the idea of love. So what is love? I can provide a biblical definition, but before I get there, You know, I want you to think of the most loving person that you've met or experienced in your life. Who is that most loving person in your life, and what was the way that this person loved you? What did they do? How did they demonstrate their love for you? Now, I ask this question a lot. It's part of my premarital counseling, and my observation is this, is that the people who loved us the most are the people who are most committed to our happiness. The people who loved us the most are the ones who are the most committed to our happiness. That love demonstrates, that love demonstrates itself by, by seeking our joy. And today is Mother's Day. Um, and I think there's any holiday that demonstrates love. I mean, it is Mother's Day. Most of us know the nurturing care of a mother who was committed to us. Sacrificing, you know, making enormous sacrifices for our good. And most of us, I dare say though, we, uh, when we think of that most loving person in our life, the person that we pick is mom. In fact, I have resigned myself to think that, at best, I'm gonna be number two in all of my kids' most loving person in their life, at best. But even if we didn't have the privilege of, of a nurturing mother, you know, we even know Uh, our hunger and desire for that inside of life. We we just see it's important. Now we know love when others seek out our good, when they sought out our joy, and even if they have different values and priorities uh, than us, we still have experienced the love of other people that though they maybe believe something different, we believe that they hold it and they believe those things uh, for our good, out of their own conviction, but for for, for our good. Now, the Bible affirms this understanding of of love, that love is seeking the joy of another person. Um, I think 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it, 2 Corinthians 1 talks about it, 2 Corinthians 8 talks about it. Um, Love is is something that is the one part, part of God's common grace. It's, It's something that all of us experience at least a little bit in this world. Even if it's imperfect, there is a sense of love that we experience as part of his common grace. People who've met the needs of others, uh, the sympathy of love, the, the, the activity of love. And we do know that love, if it was better expressed, would lead, lead to a better world. It would lead to better marriages. It would lead to better communities. It would lead, lead to more joyful living. And so then, in light of that, why, why is it not practiced? Why is it not practiced more? Remember the, the root cause of it. The root cause of this and all things is human sin. When God created Adam and Eve, they were naked. They felt no shame at that time. They were one flesh together. They served God mutually together. They sought each other's good inside of that garden. They loved each other. It was a perfect place of love. And then in their choice to eat of that forbidden fruit, that is where that garden turned from being that place of love. They hid themselves from each other. They hid themselves from God. They blamed each other for um, their own sin. Something had changed. We see it then and we see it in our own lives and we see it in our world ever since. Now, it shows up in a variety of ways. I was contemplating why isn't love shown more, and I I thought of some of these reasons why it's not shown more, um, that firstly, we fail to love because we consider uh, the cost being too high. Um, You know, we think this can take too much time or too much money. Um, It's going to ask something that we're just not willing to give um, at this particular time or moment. Or maybe we don't, secondly, we don't think that there's a reward in it you know, that for some reason um, that we do this kind of cost-benefit analysis, whether we're going to do something for uh, somebody else, and if if um, if it costs too much and there's too little benefit, we won't do it. We fail to believe that God rewards love. A third reason why uh, love is not practiced more is that we fail to love when we are insecure. Instead of, instead of, uh, working out of, of a security and, and being blessed in others that we become fearful and we try, we become anxious. We try to gather more to ourselves even if it's the expense of other people. Instead of seeing that other people can be blessed and to do well, we think that others do well somehow pushes us down. Insecurity is another reason. Another reason um, is that we stress self-care over others' care. Now, there is a certain sense that to care for others, we need to be sure that we care for ourselves, but, but there is this time where we become so focused on our own needs, our own interests, caring for ourselves, our own concerns, that we fail to see the legitimate needs of the people around us and the opportunity that we have to take care of them because we're absorbed in ourselves. We stress self-care over caring for others. And then, fifthly, uh, we fail to love when we sentimentalize love. When love becomes overly sentimental, when it becomes emotional, it fails to the power of love that we're going to see described in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So I was, uh, I was curious what the world says about love. And so to figure out what the world says about love, I, I went to ChatGPT, right? So ChatGPT, going to summarize with AI the, the what is love for all the world to know. And so I said, great ChatGPT. What is love? And this is what it told me. It said, generally, love refers to a strong feeling of affection, care, and connection towards someone or something. Right? So, you know, that, that's take all the internet, boil it down, AI, that's what it says love is. And you notice the key word that's there. The key word is feeling. And I'm concerned. you know, even as we see that in, in, you know, again, the summary of the internet, is when it's just boiled down to feelings, love becomes sentimentalized. And again, it lacks the power of God for genuine love working its way out inside of the world. Certainly those parts are there. Care matters. Affection cares. Connection matters. But there's more. Now, I could go on and on about them. Um, you know, I, I think I could, could do more. Um, but we just realized at the core, love is hard to do. Love is hard to do. And yet God commands love. It's not just something that it's nice to have. It's not an add-on to life. It is something that is commanded by God. It's commanded of all people. As, as image bearers of God, they are called to love, created by him. But it's especially the commandment to God's people, to believers, to Christians. Right? We are called from the lovelessness of this world into a life of love. And we see that in our passage today, First John 4, in verse 7 through 13. It's the fruit of the Spirit, as we talked about. It's something that God develops in us as we live in him by faith, cultivating and growing that in us uh, like fruit on a tree, right? And so, if we'd want our world to be a more uh, loving place, you know, it... it It starts with that fruit, the fruit in the believer's life. And the start in the church of God, the people of God, demonstrating that faith. All right, so how do we love? How do we become more loving? Um, I think this passage shows some important things about that. And so we have two main points to help us see that. The first thing is to consider God's love. And the second thing is to imitate God's love. All right, so let's look at the first one. The consideration of God's love. So the encouragement to love. Verse seven shows where God is the source. Look at verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So it points to God as the source and it says because he's the source as we're connected by him, by faith, we've been born again, we know him truly, we know him rightly, is that our own love is the outgrowth of our connection and faith to him. We know love rightly. We know love truly when we're reborn and we know him. Now, as I said earlier, there is a kind of love that I think is part of common grace. You know, you may have experienced uh, loving actions and loving attitudes from people who are, are not Christians. It's, there's a certain sense that is the image bearers of God that we are able to, to demonstrate loving actions and loving attitudes towards um, other, other people. So what is this passage saying? It's saying that the love of God is that source, changes that and it twists it. Because we know as we look at our own love and we can look at some of the reasons we do things, we can see the limitations of it because of our own sin And we can see even sometimes we might do loving actions with a sinful and self-serving bent. The Word of God turns us away from those things and points us ultimately to the perfect love of God, a love that is given to others for God's sake, not for our sake, and for the sake of others, and again, not just for our sake. You know, there is this, there is this uh, whatever love or, or delight that we might have in other people, what the Word of God does and the love of God does is it comes and it rightly directs it and it supercharges it so that we can be directed towards others uh, to be a blessing to them. And so some of us grew up in good, healthy homes. we were demonstrated love throughout our life and we are more, maybe more naturally loving, more nurturing, caring people. And you know, and there are a lot of non-Christians who maybe grow up in that. But even then, as we see the effects of sin and what God's love does, it changes us and focuses us so that we love others for God's sake. And that's why I think the most loving people in the world are Christians. Those who have been moved by God's love um, and and changed. And many of us, though, we have difficult backgrounds, right? We, you know, there's, there's a lack in some areas. And even then, we see that the love of God has a the power to change us and direct us and to become more loving people. Love ultimately is not a skill set. Love ultimately isn't even just a character quality. It's a disposition of the heart, which demonstrates itself through the things that we do. And it comes in knowing God as the source, being reborn of him by faith. All right, verse eight. It goes on then to show more about this source when it says that God is love. Verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we're reminded that uh, love is core to his essence. It's part of his nature. You can't just pull love out and still have the true God of, 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 of the Bible. And he's one love for all of eternity. It's part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit dwelling together for all of eternity in an eternal relationship of love for one another. And that's a reminder to us. It's because it's a reminder to us in that God did not create us because he was lacking someone to love in his life. Or that he was lonely or that he needed someone. No, God's creation of people is the overflow of love that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had with one another there is this perfect bond of love in heaven in which we get the spillover of in order to share his love with us and as we see then moving on in verses 9 and 10 how does that love work out we see uh, it works out in the way he sent his son into the world look at verse 9 in this the love of God was made manifest among us That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I want to work out three qualities of God's love that we see here. Three qualities of love that we're going to be called later to imitate. Right? The first thing, the first quality we see of his love is that it is active. He sent his son again remember love is not just sentimental there's an activity which goes in love. This is the agape love of God. The Greek word for love here is agape It describes a certain kind of love It describes this active love, but' it's, it's sacrificial it's unilateral We'll see that in a minute. Um, but you know all these things you know are demonstrated in, in here. So the first thing is this active. The second quality we see here is sacrificial. If you look at verse 10, we see the degree of his love when it says that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now propitiation is a technical word which describes what God does in the work of salvation, describes what he does with our sin. He took our sin, He placed it upon Christ, he imputed it to Christ, and then God in Christ punishes that sin and taking it away from us. So it's a word that describes the sacrifice that God, that God made for his people, that Christ made for his people. He died to take away the wrath of God from us and bring us into a relationship with him. I mean, That is love. And so God then gives up something he loves, something of his own to secure our joy. Jesus, the son of God, gives up his life for the salvation of his people. I mean, this is all part of God's plan, it's part of his expression of his love. Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63, I found this passage this week and so, so delighted my heart as I was reading another book and I said, "Wow, that really shows the love of God." in the Old Testament. Isaiah uh, 63, again, written hundreds of years before Christ came, really as a, as a prophecy of what he was gonna do, what God was gonna do with them, and it describes God's love in action. In verse nine, it says this, in all their affliction, he, the Lord, was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. So if you see some of the emotional words that are here, right? You see affliction. We were afflicted with sin. We're afflicted with death. We're afflicted but living in this sinful, fallen, dark world. And he was afflicted in that. And that's God's love for us. His own affliction and our affliction. And then you go on. If you look later in the verse, you know, in his love, in his pity. You know, seeing us again in that situation and loving us. And then what does he do? He redeems us in his love. He lifts them up and carried them. And how do he do that? But in Jesus Christ. Another passage I love is Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to turn there. And verse 2, it really describes the motivation of Jesus in going to the cross. Right? Verse 2, Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, do you see that love of Christ? For the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. The joy of redeeming his people from his sin, the joy of obeying his father, the joy of gathering people for himself, the joy that was set before him, that's what brought him to the cross. That's why we sing as we did today. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did air such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? This This is a no holding back kind of love. It's the kind of love that overcomes obstacles that keeps people from their joy. And to do that, he made a sacrifice. That's the second quality we see in it. And the third quality of God's love that we see here is that it's unconditional and it's unilateral. If you turn back to 1 John chapter 4, you know, you see in verse 10 that God did all these things because he loved us, not because we loved him, right? It starts with him. He initiated he initiated that love in sending his son. Even though we were rebels, even though we were in sin, even though we were distant, loving ourselves more than the people around us in him, he still chose to send his son into this world. That's an unconditional love. That's agape love. It's active. It's, it's um, what was the second thing I said? It's active. It's reviewing my notes, reviewing my notes sacrificial, thank you, and it's unconditional, good, good note taken. All right, so if we're going to grow in love, we consider the love of God, right, it's active, sacrificial, unconditional, agape love, and we cannot uh, think about love rightly unless we think about him, right, and so that's where verse 11 jumps us to this next point, right, because it says in light of these things, verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another, right? Meditate on the love of God. Consider the love of God. You know, go deeply into the love of God, and then, verse 11, imitate the love of God. That's our second point we hit this morning, right? Imitate the love of God. And if you look down at verse 11, you'll see an important word, ought, right? Ought is there. We have been given so much of the love of God Shouldn't we love? I mean, It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of doing what's right in the eyes of God. We have all the love that we need from God. We've gotten more than we need. We've gotten things we never deserved. And then that, for us, is called to spill out into others. If you look at verse 12, it goes on to say, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And the love is a demonstration of God's power. It's a demonstration of God abiding in us. You know, this is a wonderful thought that God abides in us, he dwells in us, and that in love, that comes out in the way that we treat others. And this is a really powerful pre-evangelistic work. It's a, it's a great apologetic work. You know, the, the, one of the greatest apologetics for the Christian faith life is that it creates a world of love. And people should see that in our lives. They should see it in our churches. That's what we want people to see. And although we fail in many ways and many times to do that, we never keep holding out that picture of heaven as, as a place of love, endeavoring, if God builds his kingdom here, is to demonstrate that more and more inside of the body of Christ. There's something powerfully evangelistic about that. And as Though we contend for the faith, making arguments for it and all those things, we never can forget that, it, that, that love is a powerful apologetic to point to the truth of the gospel. John 13, 34 through 35 talks about that. Um, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Verse 13 goes on to say that even God's love in us gives us this great assurance of his work in us you know there's a point where we should all be able to say you know what i may not be who i need to be but i'm not who i was that you know i can look back my life and i can see the actions that i did and and the selfishness of them the self-interest in them and just something has changed something has made me others directed made me more loving made me more focused on others you know i mean that's that's the work of god inside of our lives now, if we're gonna imitate God's love, let's go back again to verses seven through, through, or especially nine through 10, and see how those qualities of God's love, the act, active, sacrificial, and unconditional love of God works out with others. Um, one of the ways it works out is that we um, need to see the suffering and need of others, and to have a desire to help, right? God saw that we had no life in ourselves. He saw us condemned in sin. Uh, he, saw, he saw the need of forgiveness. And his love is in choosing to act there, respond. We, as we look around us, we see many, many needs. We ought to see needs, open our eyes to see needs because they're there. They're all around if just we'd have eyes to see. Sometimes we're sometimes scared to look at them because we're afraid that God might call us to do something about it. Um, And so we just kind of put blinders on so we can stay focused on what we think is before us. Open our eyes just to see some of the needs around. All right, second thing, Love makes sacrifices to overcome obstacles. Isn't that what God did in His Son? He was willing to sacrifice what is most valuable out of love. What about you? Will you sacrifice, if it costs you something, out of love? Money? Time? Even respect? Just so that you can go and to bring some good into someone else's life? And the third thing. We see as love engages difficult people, not just those who will love us back. Remember, it's unconditional. It's unilateral. God's love went to enemies. It went to rebellious creation. And so we see this working its way out in the way that the Bible describes the way we're called to love. We're called to, yes, love our families, love our wives. We're called, yes, to love within the church of Christ. But we're also called to love our neighbors, love your neighbor as yourself, called to love a stranger we're called to love the poor but if anyone has the world's goods first John 317 says and if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him and Jesus even calls us to love our enemies Luke six twenty seven. Jesus says love your enemies do good to those who hate you and so it's an important reminder though, uh, most of our love will be uh, directed often inside the family. And that's an important thing. It's a critical starting point. You know, I mean, how much of our nation would be stronger and healthier if just we had intact families of a mom and a dad who loved each other, love their kids, you know, stayed together with those things. We, certainly uh, this nation would be a better nation. And, and, you know, we hope that God does that inside of the lives of, of his people, especially inside of his, inside of his church. But it grows through that, grows to the rest of the family of God, right, the Church of Christ, even to strangers in need. How can we meet needs? How can we point towards greater joy in the Lord? Now, I was thinking about it today because sometimes when we think about love, we kind of think of it as like a feminine sort of quality. Maybe not everyone does, but maybe We kind of sentimentalize it again. And I was thinking about it, you know, it's Mother's Day. Now, again, I don't just come to this passage just because it's Mother's Day. It just happened to be a Mother's Day, right? We just work section by section through the passage and it comes on love. But it gives a helpful, talk about a helpful antidote a little bit. Because, you know, love isn't feminine. It isn't masculine. I mean, it is divine, right? I mean, it's part of God's nature. He is love but it does have qualities that we would describe as feminine qualities, qualities we describe as masculine qualities, you know, feminine qualities of nurture and empathy and vulnerability, compassion, intuition and communication. Again, I know those aren't just feminine, but you know, typically we associate those with that. But really it's also the, the masculine qualities of protection, of strength, of, of, of assertiveness, of, of action, right? Only the, only the love of God is perfect, only the love of God is full and it's really demonstrated as the body of Christ comes together and to show his love. In fact, you know, some of us may have some of the former qualities and not as many of the latter qualities or more of the latter qualities and not some of the the former. But again, you know, the complementary nature of the church and even of a family is to come together and to bring those mutual things together in the demonstration of love uh, and as a reflection of God's image and then ultimately for his own glory so we do we we were faithful to what we're called to do in the action of love towards others and the heart of love towards others now what about you today do you do things out of the mere fact that you know the love of God that you with a simple goal of the good of others in response to it do you give generously out of love Do you serve out of love for God? Do you spend time out of love for God? Do Do you sacrifice some part of yourself for somebody else's good because of his love? When you see someone in need, do you move towards them so they can enjoy a little bit more of God's goodness or do you turn away to focus on yourself? Now what's gonna matter at the end of our lives? I think what matters is how we loved the people around us. It, it matters more than the things that we accomplish, right? The things we accomplish, a lot of them are gonna disappear, nobody's gonna remember any of them, but, but the love remains in the people that we pour ourselves into. And that's the part of this that continues in this world that we live. It's the fruit that works for a better world. It's the fruit that works for the good of others, a, a better future. And that's really motivation, it's motivation to a believer. And so when we find it lacking, what do we do? When we find it lacking in our lives, what do we do? We go back to a deeper love of Jesus Christ. That's why we need to hear the gospel. That's why we need to remind ourselves of the gospel over and over and over again, getting back the love of God, and out of that overflow inside of our lives, we then go to love him. And then what does this do? That's where we're called to image him. We're called to display him. We image God rightly when we love the world. And that's why God's pleased with it. That's why God blesses it. That's why God wants to grow that in our lives. We need Christ, we need to know his love in order to really love. And I pray that as you're here today that you know that love, the love of Jesus, which would turn you away from yourself into the perfect love that he calls us to. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today thankful for your love, praising you for your love. You are love and you call us to love. God, you call us to a perfect love, uh, just as you have a perfect love. God, we fall short in so many ways. We fall short as individuals, even as a church. Father, we have, but you're so gracious and kind to us, and you continue to call us to follow after you. Father, help us as we do this to reflect your nature. Father, help us to reflect uh, how good you are and how loving. Father, help us to, to delight in that reward of loving others well and of dwelling in your love. Cultivate in our lives. Help us to know what's good. Help us discern what's good. Help us to see the needs around us. Help us to act for the good of the people around us. And we ask you for your help in these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship God for